welcome to the UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, six to eight weeks, perspectives in medicine. During our program, we continue to cover a variety of hot topics in the sports medicine world and more. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to this episode of six to eight weeks, perspectives on sports medicine. I'm Drew Lansdowne, and I'm joined today by Dr. Brian Feely. Dr. Nirav Pandya is out today, but look forward to having him back soon. We thought today it'd be interesting to talk about implants that we use in sports medicine surgery. In the past few weeks, there's been a lot of talk in the sports world about how surgery has been performed on a number of high-profile athletes. Aaron Rodgers had his Achilles repaired. Ian Rappaport was on X, formerly known as Twitter, highlighting the surgical technique and implants that he had, described as an innovative repair technique. Shohei Otani had his ulnar collateral ligament reinforced with a high-strength suture. So we thought when we were talking to patients, we often get questions about how we actually fix things. How do we repair a tendon? How do we reconstruct a ligament? What exactly happens in the operating room and what do we place in the body to do these types of surgery? So for today's episode, we'll discuss some of the surgical implants that we use in these different sports medicine surgeries. So Brian, maybe just to start, what exactly is an anchor and what are they used for? Yeah, I think it's one of those questions that we get asked all the time. And to us, these seem like really straightforward things. An anchor is what we use all the time. So it always surprises me that we're bad at explaining it. I like to think of an anchor as the exact same thing as an anchor does for a boat. It allows something that is very similar to what we use to put a boat into a stationary position. But instead of just dragging along the bottom, it actually goes into the bone. There's a variety of different anchor types. There's metal. There are essentially plastic, and we'll get into different subtypes of plastics. And then there's suture. But all of these have a similar principle. They get deployed in the bone, they stay in the bone, and then they have sutures or heavy non-absorbable strings that come off of them and allow us to reattach soft tissue to bone. When do we use these? We use this to take your labrum when you have a hip labral tear or a shoulder labral tear and reattach it to bone. We take your rotator cuff and reattach it to the top of your shoulder. The interesting thing about these is even though the sutures are permanent, they are really there for the first 10 to 12 weeks to get your body to heal. And I think that's really important in that they are both a permanent solution in that they stay in your body, but also they are there to facilitate healing because nothing is going to be as strong as what your body eventually can heal with. Drew, you're definitely better at all the hardcore science-y things like bioengineering and physics and all the things that make you sound smart. So I'm going to ask you a relatively straightforward question. When we talk about anchors, uh, other than the metal ones, what are the plastic ones made of when we say we're going to use a plastic anchor? The most common material is probably peak, and it's just a thermoplastic. It's polyether ether ketone, so (laughs) P-E-E-K. And it's essentially a type of plastic that it has, you know, great strength, body doesn't react to it. So it's relative, it's inert, and it can be placed into bone, doesn't come out, and then doesn't create other problems. There's also biocomposite anchors. They're made of a material that will over time be replaced by bone. Sometimes you can have some kind of a reaction to them. There have been some anchors in the past that you end up with little, like, little cysts that form in the area occasionally. But, you know, those can be nice because then over time, the anchor is just reintegrated, your bone replaces it. And essentially, they all get to that same point of something that doesn't pull out, something that's strong, and something that 
you know, holds sutures in some way or another that allows us to attach things back to where they should be on the bone. Yeah, I think the strength is really important because the way I tend to put these in is once I put them in, I try to pull them back out because if they're going to fail, I want them to fail pretty much right away and not find out down the line that they pulled out. And obviously each anchor is different, but for a lot of them that we use, the pullout strength is stronger than our hands and is more is much stronger than what we need. I want to talk a little bit about kind of that transition because when I started in the 2000s, we used mostly metal long anchors. time ago. Yeah, long, long time ago. We used mostly metal anchors. And now we've transitioned to these peak anchors, like you talked about. I was thinking more like peak peekaboo, but I guess they're <laughs> I guess they're a little bit more complicated than that. And now we use these suture anchors that are small and they're really, really strong. First of all, what is suture? The suture is just a string. And we use a variety of sizes of suture. And then those can also be made from, you know, different materials. Obviously, some of them dissolve over time. Whenever, you know, we're talking about our implants and, you know, these tendon repairs, ligament repairs, other things like that, we're usually using permanent sutures that don't dissolve. But they're also, they're made of polyethylene, polyester, these different, you know, non-dissolvable materials with, you know, just kind of like what you said earlier that the initial role is to reattach it to bone and then the body has to heal it. And so if it is dissolvable, um, you can't really control sometimes how fast it breaks down. And then if it dissolves before that interface forms and everything you've done falls apart. So the permanent ones are the ones we use and, you know, like string or fishing line or, you know, anything like that is very similar to what, you know, we end up using. It's just, you know, obviously sterile and reinforced and a bit stronger. Suture sounds like a more complicated version, but realistically, this is just string and it's unbreakable. I try to tell my patients that once we put this in, it is permanent and it is the type of material that isn't just going to fall apart. Because I think oftentimes when we say, well, it's a type of string, it gives this impression that it's thread, like the same thing you would sew if you're fixing a stuffed animal or fixing a hole in a shirt, but it's really unbreakable. You can take it in your hands and you cannot break it. And that's really specialized. These have gotten better and better, especially in the last decade. I think what's really cool about these two with these suture anchors, the kind of combination of unbreakable thread, and then these little balls of suture we can put into bone is that they can be about a millimeter, sometimes a millimeter and a half, and yet have the same pullout strength, meaning we can't pull it out as metal anchors did in the 2000s. So at least for me, I think it's really nice because we can put more fixation points, especially when I think about hip labral repair, shoulder labral repair, we can have more fixation points around the labrum, which probably leads to lower failure rates. But also because these are so much smaller, they're less reactive. I think it's better overall for the body. I totally agree. And like these all suture anchors, they're definitely like a nice step forward. And you know, you never want to think about what happens if, you know, your first surgery doesn't work, but that is something that I think we are always thinking about, like not creating bigger problems down the road. And they're so small that, you know, usually you know, if something else needs to be done, you haven't really disrupted much bone. You haven't taken up much you know, of the potential area for fixing something. And there's always like more options down the road, but they're just as strong and nice and small. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you a true or false question. True or false, once you have a metal anchor, you can no longer get an MRI because it'll get ripped out of your body and you'll die. 
Good question and false. Assuming it's, you know, one of our standard metal anchors and they're all MRI compatible. And then all of the orthopedic implanted hardware, you know, like a knee replacement, a hip replacement, shoulder replacement, plates and screws for fracture, like they're all safe to have an MRI. Sometimes you run into issues with the picture being distorted. So when you have a knee replacement, if you get a knee MRI, you usually can't see anything because the the metal that's there distorts the image. But then it, with the smaller anchors, you'll get a little bit of distortion right around it, but you could still get a, even an MRI of the, you know, of the area without compromising the whole thing, but definitely safe to be in the scanner and get a picture taken. It used to be that any metal we were worried about, and then it was certain metals we couldn't get a good picture, but now with science and technology and magic, there are sequences that we can use that can get rid of the metal artifact because you're shooting a magnet through the body. That being said, if you had metal in your eye or metal in your brain, none of which is orthopedically relevant unless you went to a really bad orthopedic surgeon, um, you're safe to get an MRI. Now, what about ACL reconstructions? When you do an ACL reconstruction, how do you fix the ACL on either side? It depends on, so with the ACL, talked about before the different grafts that you can use. So you can use different tendons to serve as that new ACL. If I'm doing one with the patellar tendon, so with that, we take a little piece of bone on each side, and then I'll use either a metal screw or a like a biocomposite or peak screw. So that's just you know a screw on each side because you have that piece of bone. And then if you're doing something with soft tissue, that could be either, you know, quad tendon, hamstring tendon, allograft soft tissue, but usually we'll use like a button and that can um, suspend the graft in the socket. And so the button is, you know, it's just similar to like a button on a shirt or any other kind of button where it can go in straight and then it flips. So we have like a little hole that it can go in and then it'll flip on the other side and then it can't pull back because now it's perpendicular to that smaller tunnel. Um, and then you can pull as hard as you want, but it won't slip because it's just right up against bone. And then you can also use you know various screws against the soft tissue as well, mostly either one of those forms of plastic or you know something else, but a lot of different ways to fix it. The buttons are pretty interesting though. What do you usually use? Yeah, since I almost always do hamstring or quad tendon grafts because I, I just don't like patellar tendon grafts nearly as much, I will use a button on the femoral side. So the part we pull the graft up into, um, essentially above your kneecap, and then I'll use a, a plastic screw or a peak screw on the um, on the tibial side. I think the button is also a weird concept because when we think button, we think shirt button, but these are almost like staple sized and they are staple shaped. So they are like, if you think about um, the, uh, what are those things you use for your shirts when you're dressed fancy? I don't know. Cause I don't dress fancy. Cufflinks. Cufflinks. Yeah. It's that size. If you had a fancy staple size cufflink that you can pass through and then flip it on the other side, that's what's going to hold it there. And it's up against bone and it's so strong that in theory, you could take your fingers and do pull-ups off of it. It is not something that's going to budge. And again, this is the kind of thing that we test in the operating room. Once we flip that button, we essentially try to unflip it and make sure it is not going to dislodge. And then obviously for more complicated cases, we have small buttons, medium-sized buttons, and then large buttons. And in the rare case where you just go all the way through the outside, we literally have buttons that look like 
buttons on a shirt or a lab coat where we can tie sutures over it if we needed a big, almost like a manhole cover in this era, person hole cover. But those are pretty rare. I can only think of one person that has that in them, and that's me. Um, <laughs> so do you think that the fixation that we use for ACL reconstruction makes a difference in outcomes? No. Why not? Uh, what if a patient said, I don't like this idea of a button. I really want screws on both sides. Would you say, sure, or it doesn't matter. All these fixations yeah. are good. You know, trying to understand why, but the, I think all of the fixation, you know, like we've, like there are studies on them showing that the load to failure, like how much it takes to dislodge them or disrupt them is way higher than what the ACL will see. And the failure point isn't going to be, you know, any suture. It's not going to be the button. It's not going to be the screw. It's going to be the, you know, that tendon or the interface. And it's really, you know, like holding it there until it heals. And it's that step that probably leads to to problems. But, you know, all of these devices work really well. And, um, you know, if somebody said, I really don't want a button, it'd be like, okay, fine. Like we can use something different. And, we have lots of options, but um, they probably are all equivalent in the end. Yeah, I think the key is that they're all stronger than what we need. And even though when I've had surgery on myself, I worry about failure of the orthopedic implant. I remember at one point thinking that I'm 99% sure I can feel one of the implants has fallen out. It was just scar tissue. But at the same time, these are really strong. They don't move once we're in there. They very, very rarely move once they're in there. And it's usually, if something's moving, it's the sign of the overall construct has failed. And it's not going to be dislodged by a sneeze, a cough, walking downstairs, a little slip. It's going to take something right. much bigger and usually repetitive motion. So I wanted to ask you a question. All of a sudden, in you kind of brought this up in the introduction, we're talking on whether it's X or Twitter or Instagram or on ESPN about these high strength sutures or internal braces as this new magical technique to fix tissue. What are internal braces or high strength sutures? The concept is just a, like a really, really strong, thick suture and then fixing it between two points that shouldn't have, you know, any change in the length between them through the range of motion of the joint. So like an isometric point you know, for a lot of these like ligaments, they're connecting points between two bones to stabilize the joint. And the thought has been like, can you put just a really strong suture that doesn't change length, but, you know, just holds that relationship there and then almost just serve like, you know, you're splinting or you're casting, you're bracing, but you're holding that length the same, like while that, you know, new tendon material or new ligament material heals over time. It really, you know, took off with ulnar collateral ligament reconstruction. And, you know, that's like the Tommy John surgery, historically repairing that ligament failed. And that's why they went to the reconstruction and so when people tried to just sew it together, it would stretch out, wouldn't work. But then a group looked at, you know, adding this suture with repairing it. And then that seemed to have really good results. So that's like what Brock Purdy had was, you know, repair and then reinforce with this high strength suture. But the idea is just to protect it. Maybe you can move it a little faster because you don't have to brace it because you're bracing it from the inside. You know, maybe it just offloads, or, you know, protects your repair a little longer, things like that. And But it seems like an, you know, it's an interesting concept. And then there's, 
you know, good data that shows in a lot of situations, it seems like it helps our outcomes. For me, the way I like to picture it is if a regular suture is like a very heavy thread or fishing wire, this is like a Christmas ribbon, but it's not nearly as thick as a Christmas ribbon. So, or it's not nearly as wide as a Christmas ribbon, but it does add some width and girth to it, but not being thick like a rope. It's more like flat. And it's also still braided like a suture. The way I tend to use it, I will add it to most ACL reconstructions because the current data suggests that there's a improvement in return to sport rates and overall activity level. And granted, these studies are relatively underpowered right now, but we do see consistently that they they are safe. People aren't reacting to these extra internal braces. We don't really see any return to faster recovery, at least with ACL surgery. But at the same time, the fact that it's safe and it seems to maybe lower failure rates a tiny bit, not a lot, just a tiny bit, and get people to feel more comfortable and therefore return to sports at a slightly higher level, it seems to be a reasonable thing to add in. Now, I've got to ask you as a um, recovering Green Bay fan and now New York Jets fan with Aaron Rodgers moving. No, no. Okay. No. Um, Jordan as Love. a Green Bay fan, what do you think about Aaron Rodgers telling people, I am now going to be back faster than ever before? Is having an internal brace 100% the way to go? Or did he just forget he's almost 40 years old and looks like he's 60 when he's on TV? Yeah, I think more of the latter. Hopefully we can get to a point where there is this you know, faster return to play. People predictably can get back. But I think an Achilles injury is tough. And you know, part of it is getting that tendon to heal and get that to be you know, strong enough to take on like all of the load that it needs. And then part of it then is rebuilding the muscle strength and then rebuilding the coordination. And like there aren't a lot of ways right now that we can fast forward through that process. The quickest that we've really seen in professional sports to be able to come back from an Achilles is about six months. A lot of it, I don't think it's the implant technology, but we'll see. Hopefully it's an area that we can still improve upon, but I don't think we're quite there yet with accelerating too much. It's definitely something that for all the advances we've had in implant materials, we can do it. We can have stronger implants. We can have smaller implants. We can have ones that are more biologically compatible. But the reality is, is your body still takes a long time to heal. Also, let's be realistic with Zach Wilson as the quarterback. There may not be a reason for their season's over in November. Sadly, you might be right. Well, I think this is really interesting and hopefully this is really helpful. I realized halfway through that we didn't even talk about the big implants. We didn't talk about how we fix fractures, what sort of implants we put in when we do shoulder replacement or hip or knee replacements. What about doing long bone fractures? What kind of metals do we use? So I think those are all topics that we'll cover at another time because I think those are Frankly, those are more common, especially with hip and knee replacements, than any of the other surgeries that we do. And what those are are inherently interesting and fascinating. The development of them over the course of years and decades has been really, I think, one of the crowning achievements of orthopedics and orthopedic biomechanics. Hopefully this was helpful on how we fix labral tears, rotator cuff problems, ACL injuries. Hopefully Aaron Rodgers does come back. Hopefully Brock Purdy continues to look like the greatest sixth round, seventh round draft pick of all time. Please join us again at 6-8weekspodcast.com for more information like this and information on sports injuries, sports recovery, and other associated material. Thanks for listening to the UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, six to eight weeks, perspectives in medicine. What do you think of this topic? Connect with us now 
In addition to finding our contact form, you'll also find our social media links in our entire six to eight weeks episode archive. Help us grow our listenership by liking, subscribing, and sharing everywhere. We're eager to hear from you, and we'll be sending you more great thought-provoking content in less than six to eight weeks.